Hey everyone, welcome back to Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It reads, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or to shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. But in the following instructions I do not commend you, because when you come together it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. As we continue our walk through 1 Corinthians, we get here to chapter 11, where we have two specific, significant, descriptive events that are being discussed. One centers on this concept of head coverings, the other one on the concept of the Lord's Supper and how it is practically laying out in the church at Corinth. And so I'd like for us to focus in on that one, the specifics of the relationships and the tension that are happening as the church wants to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We want to start this discussion by maybe jumping all the way down to the end, looking at verses 33 through the end of the chapter. It says there, So then, my brothers, when you come together, eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. 
about the other things, I will give directions when I come. As we jump down there, we see probably the rationale that's given behind the situation that's occurring. There is a meal that they are sharing as the Lord's Supper that is not actually being celebrated in the same way as it is intended. So here there is a situation where they're providing rationale specifically, well, hey, we're hungry, so we go ahead and we start without these other people, or we're not waiting for them, and by the time they get there, oh, everything was gone, so it's not really our fault. But what they're actually doing is excluding others from the fellowship of the community of believers, and specifically they're excluding those who don't have anything to offer, essentially the poor. It says here, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? They're taking advantage of the poor people. Essentially, they've got a inner crowd of the wealthy that are then participating in this meal. And not only that, they're getting drunk with that, verse 21 tells us there. And so while the people are going hungry, these other people are feasting, and they're doing that in the name of the church. And so it is a horrible situation for other people who are coming into that to be participating in the way in which they are worshiping together, because it goes against everything that the gospel stands for. The oneness of the gospel, the unity of the gospel is being put aside by this specific situation where they have these factions and these groups that have developed. So the people that God had leaned into and the people that God had invested in, those who are considered the least of these, are the people who are being now cast aside so that these people can celebrate what they are saying is a religious celebration of the Lord's Supper, but actually is nothing more than just a fancy dinner party that they're having. And so when we look at this, we see the way in which Paul is addressing the specifics of their worship. He's letting them know that, hey, there is order, there's design, there's purpose to what is supposed to be happening when they gather for corporate worship. He gives them that paradigm there in verses 23 through 26 as he goes back to the specifics of what they are skewing in their own form of worship and reminding them what the Lord's Supper looks like, the purpose of that and then talking about the seriousness of those who eat that in an unworthy manner. And so Paul is laying out a way to resolve conflict within church by taking us back to the standard of Scripture and reminding us the core focus is there so that we understand then how we move forward. And so I think that's important for us to think about today as we try to deal with different instances that come up in our lives where we might think there's something going on that is not supposed to be happening. So how can we take that back to the scripture? How can we take that back to the origins or to God's design? And how can we make sure that we still pattern our lives after that rather than traditions or events that are taking place. We see that this is a specific event, and we see that in the first part of the chapter, it talks about a tradition that is taking place. And so there are lots of questions that people have about those things. And the importance is it impacts worship. It impacts the ability of people to come into the people of God and to be able to worship God freely. And so as we think about that today, how can you help address those issues when you see them? When people have questions about why we do what we do at Ascend Church or how we worship and how we 
do our small groups? Do you know the places to go back to to talk about the way in which we've structured? Do you know how we can point others to the scriptures and to God's design? I would encourage you, if you don't or if you have questions about those, ask people around you to help you to show you why we have patterned our church the way we have, how we focus on the specifics of verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word, and how we have structured morning worship to be a corporate instance rather than an individual show of what's going on. And so how we have structured each facet of our worship time together is done intentionally and for the purpose of edifying and building up the body of believers. And so that's something specific for us to apply as we read through a specific situation like this in our understanding of how Paul is resolving that conflict there. As far as a question, we do want to briefly talk about head coverings. Obviously, this is a tradition. It's important we understand that. We see that in verse 2, to maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And so this was a historical setting, a tradition that was taking place in their time. You might even understand this in a sense of we have the Jewish tradition now. Actually, men are the one who cover their heads and women are the ones who don't. And so those traditions that are passed down are descriptive of what's happening in that time. So we're not necessarily asked to prescribe to the same tradition and to follow those things forward. And so we also understand we're some 2,000 years after this. We understand that there are some specific things, even in our time, that are discussing these gender roles. And we as a church definitely still believe that there is a focus in this and what's going on and understanding the headship of Christ and understanding that a wife is submissive to her husband. But there is a lot of different things that could play out of that. And we don't necessarily have the time to to get into all of those different gender roles at this point and to talk about how the scriptures teach about how men and women relate to one another and where there's appropriate leadership distinctions and other things like that. But it is important for us to understand this discussion that he has in verses 2 through 16 as a tradition within a time and a culture in which it was prevalent that he is continuing to proliferate to the Corinthian church so that they can once again have ordered worship that he's going to talk about. We're even going to see that a little bit more as he goes into chapter 12 and talks about spiritual gifts and how those are functioning and how that could be something that is keeping their worship from being something that is ordered and something that is managed and something that is profitable for all who are there. And so he's addressing those issues here. He's addressing that tradition. It's important for us to understand that. So as you read through chapter 11, what are the questions that come to your mind? What are the ways that you're seeking to answer them? How are you developing a way to study God's word, to find the riches that are in there, to find the nuggets of truth, the places that you can anchor your faith today? As you seek those out, as you discover those, as you connect with a body of believers here, know you are loved. You're-